Gospel of John, and quite frankly, I think it's a huge success that within two years, we're almost done, y'all. We're almost done. We got this week, and we got next week, and we will have walked through the entire Gospel of John and have learned some amazing things, amen? If you've been here with us over these last couple of years, you know that, I mean, God has just taught us some amazing things. And, and one of the things, if you found John chapter 21 and you just look up to the verse just before John 21, it really gives us the theme and the purpose for the entire Gospel of John where it says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. John's Gospel is all about faith. It's all about trusting God. It presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and it's all about our just believing what he said about himself and about life. And so faith is the key. Now, it's interesting because when I think about that, um, the thing that really stimulates faith in our lives, think about this with me for a second. The thing that stimulates you to believe God more, it's not the law. It's not judgment. It's God's promises, is it not? God offers you a promise of eternal life and you believe it and you respond to that. And it's always the promises of God that stimulate our faith. So when we read the scriptures and we come across some of those awesome promises, it causes us to want to embrace that and want to make it our own and want to believe it. And that's what, that's what it does. And of the promises of God, some of those promises are unconditional, but not all of them. And so among our favorites, among one of my favorites, comes Romans 8.28, a lot of you may be aware of Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good, right? To them that love God, them that are the called according to his purpose. And, and maybe you'd read all the way through Romans 8. A lot of great promises, but Romans 8 ends with this awesome promise, the last two verses, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not an awesome promise? I mean, there is nothing in this life, there's nothing in any previous life, if you believe that, that would be weird, and nothing in the life to come, nothing above you, below you, around you, before you, nothing anywhere in the heavenlies, nothing could possibly separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a problem, man, that stimulates you to just want to believe him. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one particular promise. There's so many promises in God's word. And the one particular promise that is illustrated for us as we enter into John chapter 21 is the promise of God as our provider. God is our provider. And that's what we're going to see as we get into this thing. This is an awesome promise. Now, if we did a little study, and I did a little study this week just on the idea of how God provides for us, if you're familiar here in our church, we, we study the Bible systematically, and one of the things, one of the rules in understanding uh, the Bible that comes up in our study is this idea of the law of first mention. When God mentions a, a word or a principle for the very first time, it has unique significance in setting the standard for all that. And the first time that the word provide ever shows up in your Bible is in the book of Genesis, where many of the firsts appear, of course. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 8. Now, this is the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, okay? And, and you're, if you're familiar at all with the scriptures, you're familiar with this story. It is a great picture of God the Father offering his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our 
place. Well, you know, he brings Isaac up the mountain and he's going to kill his son and then God miraculously stops him at the last minute and there's a ram caught by his horns in the thicket and and the ram substitutes for Isaac and and that whole cool story. And in verse number eight, and and Isaac is helping build the altar and he says, Abraham, father, you know, okay, we got the wood and we've got the altar and everything, but where's the lamb? And the first time it appears in verse number eight, God will provide himself a lamb. Now that's a really cool Bible study on its own. I just want to point out the fact the first time that the word provide ever shows up in your Bible, it's very, very clear who the provider is. Amen? God will provide. And God provides for us. In fact, if you go a little further down in that chapter, as they're kind of reflecting on this whole thing, that he cries out to God and he calls God this Hebrew name, Jehovah Jireh. Maybe you've heard of that, which literally just means God, our provider. And, and so God is recognized as the provider because of this awesome picture. And God provides all through the scriptures. I put a reference in your notes to Psalm 78 and verse number 20, which is just one verse that kind of refers to a time where Israel was in the wilderness. And while Israel's wandering in the wilderness, did God not provide every single thing that they needed? He provided them food. He provided them water. He provided them meat. He provided them bread. He provided them warmth. He provided them shelter. He provided everything for them when they were in a desert and there was nothing around them that they could provide for themselves. God is a provider. Uh, if, you, if you're a Christian person and, and typically what we do, we should do and, and typically do do, before we sit down to eat, we bow our heads and we have a word of prayer and we give thanks to God for providing what it is we're about to eat, do we not? I mean, that's a common thing that we do. We recognize how God provides for us. And yes, it is true. In the book of Deuteronomy in chapter number eight, the Bible says that God is the one who gives us the ability to make wealth. And so if you have a a job and you're earning an income, it is God who gives you the ability to be able to do that. And yes, it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 10 that God expects all of us. He tells us all that we need to work Okay, so yes, we work for a living. Yes, we earn an income. Yes, we, in our minds anyway, provide for ourselves. But I really want us to see, and I believe God wants us to see in this passage today, how ultimately he is our provider. Think about it, all throughout the world. Listen, we live in a very affluent society and we provide our own stuff for the most part. I mean, really. But there's places all around the world where jobs are not so readily available. There's people in many, many countries of the world that would love to work and provide for themselves and they just can't because those opportunities just aren't available. And I want you to consider today that God did not only give you the ability to work. God also gave you, provided for you, some other things, including a mission to do for him. Okay, And that's really what he's going to get down to when we look at this story right here is that, yes, he provides for our physical needs, okay, but he also gave us a mission to do, and that's really, really important. So if you were with us as we came through John chapter 20, basically it is the story of the resurrection and the empty tomb, and Jesus begins to present himself before his disciples, and he does it on two different occasions within an eight-day span of each other. And we looked at that last time. And as he presents himself to his disciples, he, he really just kind of calms them down and says, peace be unto you. And we saw that last week. And, and while he's doing that, in verse number 21 of chapter number 20, Jesus said unto them, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, 
Even so send I you. He's not only providing for us in all our physical things that we'll see, but he gives us something else to do as well. He gives us a mission. And so what we're going to see as we jump into John chapter 21, and we'll be in the first 14 verses today, that there are seven of his disciples together. Not all of them, just seven of them are together. And they are here at the Sea of Tiberias. That's in verse number one. And, and at the, the Sea of Tiberias, just so that you know, is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee actually is known by several different names in the Bible. It's the same sea in the northern part of Israel where a lot of these guys were from. And, and you know what? Maybe they went up to Galilee, these disciples, because earlier, as we saw last week, that Jesus had told them when he first came out of the tomb, go and tell the disciples that I go before them unto Galilee and that I'll meet them there. And so, yes, they, they, he, he met the disciples a couple of times in the first week or so. And then maybe they're thinking, well, hey, I'm not sure when Jesus will show up. Because if you remember last week, Jesus just kind of shows up. I mean, now he can kind of enter into rooms that are closed with the doors shut. I mean, Jesus in his resurrected body can do things that we in our physical bodies can't do. And so they kind of don't know when Jesus is showing up and when he's not showing up. But he said this thing about Galilee. And so I said, well, let's go to Galilee. And so they go to Galilee, and while they're in Galilee, and maybe, I don't know, hoping that Jesus will show up, and he hasn't yet, they're waiting. And here is the tricky part, because in our lives, this is very similar. We want Jesus to show up in our lives, don't we? And sometimes we find ourselves waiting. What do we do while we're waiting? <laughs> and that's what we're going to see as we get into this story. So we're going to talk about God's provision and literally the conditions necessary for God to fulfill those things. So let's read the first 14 verses of John 21. Just follow along as I read. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. On this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, a fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. For all uh, there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Let's pray. And Heavenly Father, as we Look in more detail in the story. I do pray that you would just make it very clear to us exactly the lesson that we need to learn. 
And Lord, each of us come to you today at very different places in our lives with a multitude of different needs and concerns and burdens on our heart. And regardless of what those details are, certainly you know them all. But certainly through them all, the thing that we really want to know today certainly is how you can provide. Lord, we desperately need you to come and provide the things that are lacking in our lives. Some of those things might be physical. Some of those things might be spiritual. And I pray through it all, Lord, that we would understand the conditions necessary to open up the floodgates of your provision because that is where the joy is. Please, Lord, teach us this lesson as you have recorded it in your holy scripture, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at some conditions, and the first thing that we're going to see is very simple. You can't go back. You can't go back. You can't go backwards, and that's what we see in the first part of this story. We are introduced to seven guys, and I would say that these seven guys are no-nonsense kind of guys, right? The, the first one that we hear about, it's always, he always seems to be at the front end of stuff, is Simon Peter, right? And Simon Peter is the guy who's very bold. He's the guy who is very impulsive. He's the guy who says what he thinks and jumps right out there, maybe before thinking all the time. He's the guy that God has given to us so that many of us can relate to, okay? So Simon Peter is the first guy. Obviously, by profession, he was a fisherman. Now you've got Thomas. He's the doubter, okay? Thomas is the guy who, no matter what's going on, he's going to say, yeah, prove it. Thomas is the guy who says, prove it, right? And then you've got Nathaniel. Now, if you go back in John chapter 1, when Nathaniel was first introduced to us, it says, this is a man in whom there is no guile. Now, what is guile? Guile is deception. So Nathaniel is a guy that is not going to be deceptive in any of the ways that he communicates. We might consider Nathaniel as a guy who's a real straight shooter. Nathaniel's going to tell it like it is. I mean, there's no guile in Nathaniel. You know what you're getting with him, right? And then it has the sons of Zebedee. And the sons of Zebedee are simply James and John. Those are also fishers. They're brothers. Zebedee is their father, referred to frequently in the scriptures as the sons of Zebedee. They are also referred in Mark chapter 3 as the sons of thunder. And the sons of thunder is a title that's given to them basically because, again, they are, they're men's men. These are hard-working dudes, man. I mean, these are guys who are willing to put it out there. And then at the end it says, and two other guys, okay? I don't really know who those two guys are. I'm just guessing they're probably not wimps, okay? I mean, these are no-nonsense guys. These are guys who are outdoorsmen. These are guys that would say, get her done, right? I mean, these are the guys that are hardworking, not lazy. I mean, these are guys that are used to getting stuff accomplished. And if something's not getting done, they're going to take it on them and go ahead and get it done. Well, as we get into the story, it's not surprising that the guy we're focusing on is Simon Peter. And I want you to just notice that in this part of the scriptures, it refers to him in both of the names Simon, which would have been his human name given to him, and then Peter, which is really the name that Jesus Christ gave to him later after he met him. Because Peter represents a rock, okay? And Jesus says that, hey, Peter, you're going to be a rock, okay? But right now you're just Simon, okay? So he's called Simon Peter. And what happens is, is that when the Holy Spirit records for us the name Simon with Peter, we're typically going to have a little fleshly behavior in the midst of what's going on. 
Okay, so we read Simon with Peter, and we see the conflict of the two natures going on inside of this disciple. Okay, and that's what we see right here. And so Simon Peter is the one that steps up, and he's like, I'm going fishing. And the other guys, you know, we're not just blaming Simon, because the other guys are like, I'm in. Let's go. And so they go fishing. Now, before we crack on them too hard for doing that, that's their job, man. This is not just a hobby. This is not just something they're doing for fun. It's not like they could just go to the fridge and get some Cheerios or wherever you, I don't want to keep Cheerios in the fridge. (laughs) Get some milk to put on Cheerios. They couldn't do that. I mean, these guys are going, they're going to get something to eat. I mean, they're going to get something done, probably hungry. I don't know. And so, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, everybody's got to go to work sometime, right? I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, if anybody doesn't provide for his own, even his own family, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. Uh, If you're not familiar with that word infidel, that just comes from Latin, fidel, that would be like faith, unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than a lost guy if you don't even provide for your own. I mean, yeah, of course, a guy's got to go to work. You love Jesus, you surrender to follow him. All of us are here on Sunday. Most all of us are going to work tomorrow, right? I mean, it's understandable that they got to do that. It's human nature that we take care of ourselves. We're not beggars, okay? We get that. It's a, it's a, especially in the United States of America, it's a value that we hold dearly. I work for what I get. I'm not begging, okay? Maybe that's what they're thinking. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I want to put this before you, and this is in your notes, that God did not provide to you your job to use as an excuse for not obeying the commission. Okay, write all those little words in the blanks. I'm going to say it again once you're done writing. Because you need to seriously think about this. Just like any other blessing God gives you, a husband, a wife, children, a job, whatever it is God has given to you and blessed you with, he has not given that to you so that you can use that thing as an excuse to ignore the other thing he also gave to you, and that's his mission. He had just told them, as the Father has sent me, so now send I you. When they first met Jesus three and a half years prior, and he met them fishing, these guys, okay, Peter and Andrew, James and John and some others, the guys who were fishermen. And he said what to him? He said, follow me and I will what? I'll make you fishers of men. Now I want you to notice that when he said that, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they were not fishers of men. Immediately, they were just following Jesus around and checking it out, okay? But now is the time. Now things have changed. Now is the time that they begin not to fish for fish anymore, but to fish for men. It says back in those passages that when they decided to follow Jesus, when he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, It says that they had forsaken their nets. Well, if you've forsaken your nets, why are you going back to that? Why are you going back to that? But that's what they did. They go back to fishing for fish. It's a compromise. You see, you can't go back. You can't go back to the old life. If you were to study the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah uses a word more frequently than anyone else in the Bible, and the word that he uses is backsliding you heard that word backsliding and the idea is that you are in some position of faithfulness with the Lord and you slide backwards into some position of not being faithful 
with the Lord anymore. You have slid backwards the wrong direction. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. They're going the wrong direction. They're going back to their previous life after Jesus has already transformed their life. And you know what? It doesn't work. They didn't catch anything. Do you notice that? Going backwards never works. They didn't catch anything. So Jesus stands on the shore, and they see Jesus on the shore, and it says that they didn't know that it's Jesus. Well, we'll see a little later on. It says that they were, they were probably 200 cubits out from the shore. What is, a, what is that? Well, a, a cubit is about 18 inches. And so 200 cubits is about 300 feet or 100 yards. So imagine yourself on one end of a football field looking at somebody, one person, standing at the other end of a football field. And I don't blame them. They didn't recognize Jesus. That's just some dude out in the distance, okay? They maybe couldn't recognize who it was right away. But that's what they see. And this person on the shore just says, hey, do you have any meat? We would say it, any luck? Catch anything? Nope. (laughs) Nothing. And so what I want to point out to us in this lesson is, is that Jesus, as he said he would, go before them to Galilee, Jesus kind of just shows up. But this time he shows up to remind them that going back to their old lives, it's fruitless. It's a waste of time. It doesn't work. Don't bother. Don't do that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature, right? Old things are passed away, the Bible says. Behold, all things are become new. And so if we really believe that, listen, if, are, are you a new creature in Christ? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, the Bible says you're a new creature and old things have passed away and all things are become new. Personally speaking, I could give you plenty of stories of times when I've struggled with this. None the least of which was just in 2007 and 2008. In 2006, we finished the work that God called us to do in Albania. We came back to the United States. We moved to the Atlanta area. And through a number of circumstances, I found myself without income and a family to feed. Just like any of you, I began to worry and think, man, I got to put food on the table. I'm the man. I got to do that. I don't want to be worse than an unbeliever. Uh, and I went back and I got a job. I'm a degreed mechanical engineer. I went back and somebody was foolish enough or desperate enough to hire me and they did and I got a job and I went back to engineering and it was fine and they were very good to me and it was a fine job there was nothing wrong with it but I was miserable I mean it was about 15 months that I was in that job and I just hated it man are you saying were you out of God's will I don't know if I was in or out of God's will I know that God used it to teach me this lesson God didn't want me doing engineering that's what I did before I knew him okay God wanted me to be here if you don't want me to be here, that's, take it up with him. But that's what he wanted. He didn't want me there. And it's easy for us to fall into that, and it can happen to any of us. Jesus taught this very principle in Luke chapter 9. This is a great little passage of Scripture. Jesus taught this previously to the disciples. Maybe they didn't get it. Luke nine fifty seven through 62. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And you're thinking, man, that's great, awesome. Jesus said, sign him up. Let's put him in charge of something. No, Jesus said, 
Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is saying, really? You'll follow me wherever I go? Do you realize that there's a cost associated with that? Do you realize that if you follow me, you may not necessarily have a nice, comfortable home to go back to all the time? And uh, so he kind of puts it on him. And and then he, he said to another, now this time it's Jesus saying it. Jesus goes to a guy and he says, hey, follow me. But, and that's a dangerous word, he said, Lord, suffer me first. That's always trouble. To go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee. But, here it is, let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We're not going to study the details of that little story. That's a cool story. The general message is very clear. Once you set off on your direction, in that last example, to to plow a field, okay? If you put your hand to the plow to plow that field and you turn back, you're always looking back over your shoulder about what you left or what you're missing or what you need or what was before in your life before the Lord called you. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not really ever going to understand how God is the one who can provide for you. I want you to ask yourself if you have put your hand to the plow and what would God have to say to you today? Because doing that is what he asks us to do when we accept the call to follow him. Uh, in another place, Acts chapter 15. Now we have Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas. And in verses 36 to 38, there's this dispute between the two of them. It comes as a result of this. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city. They'd finished their first missionary journey. They're going to go back again on a second one. Let's go back and uh, visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. This would be the human author of the gospel, Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And so John Mark had a time of weakness in his life where he was serving Paul and Barnabas in the ministry and something happened. What was it? I don't really know. But John Mark quit. He was a quitter. Now, if you know the story, you know that Barnabas and Paul split and Barnabas takes John Mark and Paul takes Silas and they kind of go their own way. And by the end of the Bible story, at the end of Paul's life, he writes a letter to Timothy and he says, hey, send John Mark to me. He said, that guy's profitable for me in the ministry. John Mark was restored. And if you find yourself here today and you're a person who has set your hand to the plow at some point and something happened, such that you have found yourself cooled off and quit. You look back and somehow or another you're not plowing anymore. You're not in God's harvest field anymore. Okay, know this. You can be restored too. I mean, that's good news, okay? But still don't miss the fact that Paul makes it very clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that if you're a quitter, that's not good. That's not what he wants. It's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to turn back. And that's exactly what we see these fishermen do. They go back to their old life. And as a result, is there any provision up to this point? No, there's none whatsoever. They go back and they don't get anything for it. So what about you? What about your life? Would you at least for a moment honestly consider as we are here 
And God's Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us through his holy word into our personal lives. Have you ever heard from God with something specific he wants you to do? And you were really excited about that for a while and you've been waiting. And maybe you've been waiting so long that, I don't know, life just happened and all of a sudden you find yourself kind of not doing that anymore and you sort of forgot about this calling that God put on your life. And maybe, maybe, things aren't working out so good for you. Would you at least be open enough to consider why? Because you've done exactly what these men have done. Now they're going to get restored, they're going to get it right, and you can as well. But I want you to notice that in this interaction that these guys have with Jesus up to this point, notice that it's Jesus Christ who initiates the conversation. They're out fishing. 100 yards away, and Jesus says, hey, any luck? Jesus gets their attention. Jesus initiates the conversation, and maybe today is your day that Jesus is trying to initiate your conversation. I don't know. Well, we can't go back, and, and I want to look at the second point. And the second point, I know, that, I know some of you, man, you look at these blanks, and you think, I'm going to figure out what's supposed to go in that blank before he says it. Now, I want you to know, the people that really know me know what goes in this blank. Taking care of business. There's a bunch of you that really know me. That's partly because it's a song, okay? It's from a long time ago, and that song is the ringtone on my phone. Sorry. So if you call me, that's what you're going to hear, a little Bachman-Turner Overdrive. And uh, I like the song, man. When I was a teenager, I know it's weird. I played in a little garage band. I was lousy, but, you know, we played taking care of business, and I have memories. It applies to what we're talking about right here. First off, I want you to understand something. Jesus is capable of providing all your needs. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that Jesus Christ alone is capable of providing all your needs? Do you need to help him out, really? Can he do it? I mean, in his capability, of course, of course he's capable. Understand that it doesn't have to make sense. Understand that the way in which he may choose to provide for you may not be the way in which you're expecting him to provide for you. So these guys are professional fishermen that have fished all night long and caught nothing. And from 100 yards out, some dude on the shore says, take your net and cast it on the right side of the ship. I don't know how big their ship was. Let's say their ship went from this podium to this little wall over here. Now, I'm not a fisherman. But if I'm a fish and I'm swimming around, does it really matter if the net's over here? And, you know, it'd be like, I can dodge that one, but if it's over here, oh, man, I can't get past this one. No, man, he said throw it on the right side of the ship. And, and then what happens? Well, then they catch a ton of fish. In fact... They caught so many that the net probably should have broke, but it didn't break. I mean, Jesus is awesome. He's so much better fisherman than these guys. I mean, he just tells the fish, swim into the net. And they're like, okay. And then they just do. <laughs> He's capable of doing things that don't make sense. The Bible says, oddly, I think, 153 fish. 
Okay, figure out whatever you think that means. But if we were to just do a little simple math, okay, 153 fish, let's say that each fish averaged out to be a two-pounder. 306 pounds of fish. But the Bible says that they were great fish. Four pounds each. 612 pounds of fish. No wonder they couldn't drag it into the shore by themselves. No wonder the other boat had to come and help them. No wonder all those guys together in two ships. This is a big drag net, the kind that you would let out behind the boat and then eventually circle around and get the fish, okay? 612, I mean, I don't know. And again, they had to drag it 100 yards. Uh, this week, I came out and stepped off this auditorium that we're in. And from this wall to this wall is right about 33 to 35 yards. So you take the length of this auditorium times three. Again, it's a football field. Dragging 600 plus pounds of meat in a net, that's a long way to go. It's a miracle. Any way you slice it. And if you think, well, you know, maybe it's a miracle, maybe it's chance. Uh, If you were a fisherman and you fished all night and got nothing and some guy shouts at you, drop the net on the right-hand side and you pick up 600 pounds of fish like that, you're going to say, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Amen? And you know what? Here's what you need to understand. Jesus Christ has done that kind of thing before and he'll do it again. He will. In fact, I want you to keep your finger here in John chapter 21, and I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 5, because a very similar story occurred earlier in the lives of these men, back in Luke's gospel in chapter number 5, and we're going to look at the first nine verses together. Notice all the parallels and similarity. Luke 5, verse number 1, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. By the way, that is another name for the, for the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. Okay, that would have been a small fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias, Galilee, Gennesaret. It's really just one big body of water. So it's the same exact location that the, that the men are at in this story in John 21. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, there he is again, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Sound familiar? Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Now this time it doesn't tell you how many Maybe more than 153 because 153 seems to be the tensile limit of the net strength. I don't know. That's an engineering thing. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes for their net break, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes, which they had taken." And so what we see here in this story, again, it's the same deal. They're fishing all night. They catch absolutely nothing. Jesus tells them to try again. They try again and they do it. They catch tons of fish, right? The net's about to break. They need help to get them all into the shore. I mean, this is the same story. I mean, it's a different time in history. It's, it's almost the exact same set of circumstances that probably close to the same location. 
And Jesus tells him, by the way, this is, this is not the original calling of the men to follow him. This is at a point he would have said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Sometime later, Luke chapter 5, okay, then he has this event. And Jesus said in verse number 10, he says to Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And it says in verse number 11 that at that point they forsook not just their nets. In verse number 11 of Luke 5, it says they forsook all and followed him. Because here, Simon, in Luke 5, he still had his boat, right? Now, when they go fishing in John 21, where'd they get the boat? I mean, maybe they had a rental. I don't know. But they're supposed to have forsaken all by this time. So you notice, go back to John chapter 21, and in verse number 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved is John. He saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. Again, so we see... John, maybe John remembered Luke 5, maybe because John would have been there as well in that story. And he says, hey, this is the Lord. Remember? Remember Luke 5? (laughs) He's like, who's Luke? No, that's something else. And it says in verse 7, it's interesting. Now Simon, he said, when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now, does that just strike you as kind of weird? Just for a second, talk about this. I mean, it's a little weird, I know. Naked fishing. (laughs) Really? Probably why I don't like fishing. No, No, listen, naked does not mean completely naked. It does not mean nude, okay? Naked is barely, probably like just just the the slightest of undergarments or whatever it might have been, okay? Nevertheless, it, it, it points it out. The Bible uses that word. And the thing I want you to understand, just very briefly, because I think it's significant. I want to point this out because I want us to learn something, okay? Here's the deal. In the Scripture, nakedness is associated with something else. And the thing that it's associated with in the Scriptures is shame. You need to understand that. Nakedness is associated with shame. In fact, the very first mention of naked is associated with shame, only it was before sin in Genesis 2. And in that case, before sin entered, it says that Adam and Eve were both naked and not ashamed. Yet still those two words are, are connected to each other. Once sin enters into the picture, right, it's always nakedness is associated with shame. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember this, there was a phenomenon many years ago. You might all remember streakers. Enough of you remember streakers, how weird that was that like at a football game or something, some weird naked guy had run across the field or whatever. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore. Anyway, listen, everybody knows that nakedness is shame. I mean, if, if that guy, the streaker, I mean, why is he running? Right? I mean, if he wasn't ashamed, why isn't he just walking, you know? I mean, I mean, he, you know, the Bible's got it, man. But you go to Revelation chapter 16, for example, and it points out in a very clear place, in one place in Scripture, for example, that we are to be clothed upon so that it says the shame of our nakedness does not appear. And just like it was back in Genesis chapter 3, after they ate of the fruit they weren't supposed to eat and, and then they sinned, okay, the Lord appears in the garden and as soon as they, they knew that they were naked, and what did they do? They hid themselves. They covered themselves. Because once the Lord shows up, you want to cover yourself like Peter did with the fisher's coat. That's very interesting 
because of all the different things that we could look at, you go in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 17, and it is the church of Laodicea. And in this church, we've studied that in great detail in the past, but very briefly, let me just say that the church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3 represents a period in time just before the rapture of the church. I believe it's the time in which we live where the church has one opinion of themselves and God has a very different opinion of the church. And the church thinks that they're rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. And God says, you don't even realize that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Okay, it's a spiritual condition, all right? And, and, and as a result of that, you come through this thing and Laodicea, and, and this is where I want to land for a second, Peter's nakedness while he's going backwards to try and take care of himself rather than go forward and trust the Lord is going to be a prevailing characteristic of the Laodicean church time. It's going to be something that we're going to see where people today are overly and unnecessarily fearful for their provision. And so as a result, they go backwards. And when you go backwards, you find that you are without spiritual covering. Okay? And and what exactly does that really mean? Well, the next point, God wants you to be covered. God wants you to be covered. Uh, Nakedness is associated with shame, and God wants you to be covered. If you continued on in Revelation 3, the very next verse in verse 18, the Lord Jesus says to the church, I counsel thee to buy of me, and he begins to list the solutions for their spiritual problems, among which is white raiment that you might be clothed. Again, without going into this Bible study, allow me just to make it very clear. God wants you to be covered. Don't have your nakedness show. Don't be ashamed when you stand before me, but rather go and buy of me. It'll cost you something. You get it from Jesus, not from a store. I counsel thee to buy of me white raiment. Okay, how do I do that? (laughs) Revelation chapter 19, the context is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church presents herself, the bride, and it says in Revelation 19 and verse number eight, it says that the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So we are clothed with righteousness as a result of continuing to live by faith and follow him, to continue to forge ahead, to continue to, as we'll see in just a second, take care of business. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5 is a wild little passage, first three verses. Let's look at it quickly. Paul says this, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, talking about his physical body, We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. In other words, some of us would say, man, I'm not trying to be crazy about it. I'm not not trying to kill myself and leave this life. But I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait for that day when this old house is gone and I get me that new house and everything works right. And it's glorious, and it's right, and it's perfect, and it's eternal, and all that stuff that we saw in Jesus' resurrected body as well. And we groan earnestly desiring that eternal state, right? But then it goes on in verse number three, and it's kind of wild because it says, if so be, it's not a guarantee, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. And so if this righteousness is an earned righteousness as a result of our faithful following of Christ through our life since we were saved, 
And I believe that it is. And, and it literally earns for us some sort of a fine linen, white robed covering in the eternal state, in the millennium. Well, it's very clear then that there are some people who would have received Christ as their Savior, but for whatever reason, really never lived for him. And maybe really never earned many, if any, robes of righteousness. And maybe, not sure, maybe, for the 1,000 years that Christ's kingdom is on this earth and we are in glorified bodies with him, it will be made manifest to all in the kingdom. And if you stay with us, I am intending in November to do some messages about the millennial kingdom and to understand that a little better. That you will have an idea who faithfully followed the Lord by the amount of of robes and clothing that they have in their glorified body, and it will be made manifest those who were so selfish in their Christian lives today that they virtually are naked for a thousand years. Oh, you're in there. It beats the alternative. But like I've said before, you know, I'm 50 years old, which to me seems like a long time. But it's not a thousand. And whatever I got to go through now, listen, we are to carry his shame and his reproach in carrying the gospel today. And if we don't carry his shame and his reproach by carrying the gospel today, We don't earn any robes of righteousness and maybe, just maybe, for a thousand years we carry some shame because it's evident to everybody that we don't even really have much clothing on. Which means that all your life in Christ after what he did for you and he took your feet out of the miry clay and he set you on a solid rock and he took you off the path of those burning coals of hell and he gave you eternal life and you didn't care enough to get busy and do anything for him? You turned back and took care of yourself? Me first, He's warning us about something in this story. He's warning us about something. And here's the lesson. You take care of God's business. He'll take care of yours. Taking care of business. You ta- y'all can download it as ringtones if you want. i remind you of this. You take care of God's business, and he will take care of yours. You go out. They now have a new mission. Don't go back to fishing for fish. Go fish for men. I will make you fishers of men, and now is the time. You go fish for men. I can give you all the fish you can stand. I, I can make, I can, listen, I can make the bread come out of the rocks. I can bring the water out of the rock. I can have flesh rain down from heaven. I can do any of that stuff. You go do my business. I'll take care of your stuff. I will. I'll take care of it. John has written that we might believe. Do y'all really believe that? Do you really believe that? That's what he wants us to believe. There's a couple ways that this thing plays out. The first is as a servant. And this is kind of what we're emphasizing primarily because we should all be servants of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 11. Notice this. Again, promises. Who goeth at warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things... As a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Okay? Then he goes on, he says, Paul says this. Okay, I'm quoting the Old Testament. He says, doth God take care for oxen? In other words, 
Did God write that in the law because he's really that worried about whether an ox eats corn? No. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? He answers the question, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a Is it a great thing if we should reap your carnal things? And oxen in the scripture are Christian workers. There are people who labor in the plowing of the harvest field of God. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, look, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's a yoke of oxen. Together with Jesus, we are co-laborers with Christ as oxen plowing together. We are working in the field of his ministry. And if you will do that, he'll take care of you, man. He'll give you stuff to eat, right? He'll give you all you can stand. What did David say in the Psalms? He said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread. He's fully, he's done it before and he can do it again. And if you don't think so, you're just not believing him. As a servant, he'll take care of you. Just go take care of his business. And the other thing I want to point out, because I think this is really important for where we're at today, and that's as a sender. As a servant, and now as a sender. Philippians 4.19 is a promise of God that is taken, ripped out of its context as much as probably any promise that I'm aware of. Philippians 4.19 is a great verse of Scripture, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? My God shall supply all your need, but you can't rip it out of the context because the context comes in the whole chapter leading up to it, most specifically if you were to go and read it on your own, start about 13, 14, okay? And about verse 14 on down, literally he's telling the Philippian church, your church, which by the way was a very poverty-stricken group of people, that according to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, that says these are the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia is that northern region of Greece where Philippi is located. I've actually been there. And so it is that area where he talks about the Philippian church. They sacrificially and out of their poverty gave to the ministry of Paul to the point where they didn't have enough for themselves. In other words, they were so sacrificially supporting this missionary, Paul, that they didn't even necessarily have enough left over to eat. And Paul says to them, I don't need your stuff. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. God will take care of me, and God will take care of you, but I'm so thankful that you're willing to give it because it's fruit that abounds to your account, okay? And he says, but because you're willing to give so sacrificially in order to get God's work done as a sender, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and mercy in Christ Jesus. And we have an opportunity, y'all, in the United States of America, in this time in which we live, blessed beyond measure in our physical resources, to be able to partner with other people. We have our missions conference coming up, and one of the reasons that we have a missions conference is to cast vision. One of the reasons is is to see if God will call some young men and women, and not so young men and women, to serve him with all their heart and their life, maybe in another place. And one of the reasons is to raise more and more money so that we can help be part of God's provision for chosen saints who are willing to lay it all on a line and go somewhere where maybe they are not able to provide for themselves. And that's what we should do. And God says, if you'll do that, I'll provide for you. 
Because whether you're the one that goes or whether you're the one that sends, if you are involved in my work, if you are taking care of my business, I'll take care of yours. But you've got to understand the flip side. Because if you're like, no, Lord, I got this. I'll take care of myself. I can only imagine God standing there and saying, all right, good luck. You're not interested in me doing it. Go for it. And that's what people do, and they don't understand why it's not working out. Once you realize that he'll do that for you, once you experience that, just like Peter and John, John says to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. (laughs) You kind of get a new view of God, don't you? It's not surprising that John is the first guy to realize it. It's not surprising that Peter is the first guy to act on it. Eventually, they all knew it was the Lord. You come down to verse number 12, right? None of them bothered to ask, who are you, man? They knew it was the Lord. Now, granted, his glorified body, I mean, his resurrected body looks a little different, okay? Let me just, let me just bring it back home. Aren't there times in your life where just kind of out of the blue, Jesus just shows up? And Jesus just kind of does something? And maybe in the corner of your mind, you're wanting to say, what's that all about? But really, deep down, you don't have to ask because you know it's the Lord, man. The Lord did that. And that's what's going on in this story. So Jesus, they get in. They got the 600 pounds. I'm just guessing. Fish in this net. They drag it up on shore. And Jesus has already got a meal cooking. He's got the fire going. He's got the fish on the fire. He's got some bread. Hmm. Bread and fish. Hmm. Seems like I've heard about that before. Bread and fish. One of the seven miracles in John, multiplying the bread and the fish to feed thousands and multiply thousands of people. The one of the seven miracles of John that represents for us the very story that Jesus multiplies the bread, gives it to the disciples, and the disciples pass it out to all the people that we are to take God's word and we are to feed everybody else with it, the bread and the fish. He's trying to remind them about something. And he invites them, as he invites all of you today, come and dine. Come and dine. Listen, you can feast at Jesus' table anytime, and he offers it to you freely. Your new life in Christ is a life of faith. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I'll give you a couple of balancing principles, and we're done. First thing is don't be irresponsible. You've got to keep these things in balance. I refer- referenced it earlier, 1 Timothy 5. If a man doesn't provide for his own, if you don't take care of your own family, Okay, you're, you're, you've denied the faith. We're not to be lazy. We're not to be irresponsible. We're not just to walk off and go sit in a corner somewhere and read our Bible all day and just expect the manna to rain down from heaven. We've got to be responsible. We've got to go to work. The Bible has enough to say to us to make it clear that that's what we're supposed to do. Yet at the same time, you have to balance it with what we see, for example, in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 20, and that's don't be selfish. Because in Luke chapter 12, what we have is the story of the guy who works all his life and he gets so much and he fills his barns and then he builds new barns and he fills those barns. And in verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? Notice, which thou hast provided. 
I'm not saying that you all are incapable of providing for yourself. Far be it. God is the one who gives us the ability to make wealth. If you're going to take it upon yourself to do that, what is the story of this man? This man has been so successful in his business. And he has an unbelievable savings plan for retirement. Have we not all known people? It's sad, really. They work their whole lives and sacrifice and scrimp and save with a retirement savings plan. They begin their retirement and something happens and they get very sick and they pass very quickly as soon as retirement begins. That happened to my father. It happens a lot. And all I'm trying to point out to you is don't be irresponsible. Don't be lazy. But at the same time, don't be selfish. Forge ahead wherever you are. Take care of God's business and let him use whatever means he wants to use. He may bless your business. He may bless your job. He may give you an entirely different stream of revenue. I don't know. But whatever it is, he will provide. He has given you a new job, a new mission, and that is to go and to make disciples of all the earth. And if you do that, he'll take care of your needs. That's what he says. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, right? Seek ye first, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all this physical stuff, that'll be added unto you. But you go and seek the kingdom. That's what he wants you to seek. I don't know how God's spoken to you today, but listen, I'm going to tell you, this provision, God is a provider and it is a great promise, but it is not unconditional. It is conditional. We take care of his stuff and he takes care of ours. You take it upon yourself to take care of your own stuff, great. Hope it works out for you. But you have no promise from God. I want to live by faith. I want to step out and make a difference for him. I want to see disciples made as far as God will allow me to make disciples. I want to do that. And you know what, by the way, in case you hadn't just noticed, I don't miss a lot of meals. I do okay. Always have, by the way. Let's pray together. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question. Because if you're here today and you're not 100% 100% sure that Jesus is your Savior. I just want to pray for you. And uh, the band's coming up here, and the guys are getting ready to receive the offering. Don't worry about those guys. Listen, just you and Jesus. Nobody's looking around. If you're here and you would say, Jeff, I'm just not sure I'm saved, and I want to be saved, please just pray for me. I just want you where you're at just to raise your hand. Nobody's going to bug you. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Anybody else? Just hold it up there high so I can see it. Somebody in the balcony. I see you. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else? Over here to the left side. Just raise your hand and hold up. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. Anybody else? Right. Thank you. God bless you for being honest. I appreciate that. Anybody else? Amen. Okay. The rest of you would say, look, I know I know the Lord. I do. But wow, I just let it slip. And I've gotten away from those things. And I've been taking care of myself. And it ain't been working out too good. And you know what? I'm just going to surrender it all to him. I'm going to take care of his business and let him take care of mine. This is a step of faith. It is a step of faith. But if you would say, today I'm determining, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to do what he said to do, and I'm not going to worry about the details. I'm going to leave it to him because he said that he'd take care of the details. You would say, that's me, Jeff. Pray for me. Just lift up your hand. I just want to pray for you. I just want to know how God's speaking. There's a bunch of people here on the right side, left side. I see them down here, even upstairs. God bless you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, again, thank you so much for the truth of your word and thank you for the great promises that you give. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, first and foremost, for these few that have said, I'm not sure I'm saved, just be able to surrender their hearts to you and confess their sins and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart and my life and give me eternal life. But so many others that would say, I've known you, Lord, but somehow I've just gotten away from it and today is the day I just want to rededicate it all to you and commit my life to move forward as a servant, as a sender. And I pray, God, that you would do the miracle of the fish, that you would provide for them in miraculous ways as they truly step, step forward to do what you would have them to do. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would get the honor from our lives and that we would be changed and that we would be able to reach more and more people. God, use us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as you're sitting there and, and you had this c- connection card, maybe just pull that thing out. God spoke to me and I made this decision. Could you just pull out a pen and jot that down real quick? In a second, we're going to stand and worship and sing and receive our offering and all that. But man, I mean, God spoke to me. I received Christ today. I made a, dedic- I made a commitment of dedication to him today. He's changed my life. I'm going to do this with his strength. Just let us know what's going on. And once you're done with that, when the offering plate comes by, just just throw that in there. Let's all stand together and worship him.